Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamakar Sandu back from New York City over there in Toronto in Canada. And Sandu, you had a busy couple of weeks, my friend. And uh, are you nicely, nicely settled again? Has the dust settled? you feeling back at home now all well? Yeah, back home, fully recovered. I was absolutely burning the candle at both ends, as were the entire BT Sport team. We work hard, we play hard, we have a good time. Had, a, had an amazing time. In, it's always a good time in New York. Uh, for the majority of the park, stayed in Brooklyn this time around and spent some time in Williamsburg. Just a beautiful part of New York City. Had some great food, saw some amazing you know, parts of the city. And it was, you know, I, I like the kind of like the fall, winter, I like the autumn time in New York. Uh, wear a nice little hoodie, you know, a nice little jacket. It's a little crisp in the air. Um, but for the most part, I had a brilliant time back home now. And I swear to God, just as we were recording this podcast, it started to snow. So we've got our first snowfall of the winter season here in Toronto. The next three or four months are looking pretty white outside. So I'm going to start shoveling my driveway and, and what have you. But that all being said, happy to be home, fully well rested, recovered, and looking forward to doing a bit of a preview review, talking combat sports with my good friend Simon Head. Yeah, you're talking about the weather. It's fucking cold over here as well. We went, I took my daughter to the O2. Um, didn't get to see the UFC at the O2 this year, but we went to see McFly instead, who were bloody good, by the way. They're a good live yeah. band. They're a pretty good live band. So we had a lot of fun seeing that. And uh, yeah, it has been very cold. And I went and watched the Jills on on uh, on Saturday and we got sucker punched in the last minute of stoppage time. It was absolutely horrific. But it was, honestly, the temperature must have dropped like five degrees from kickoff time to the end of the game. It was so, so, so cold. Winter is finally here at the uh, the end of November. We've held on uh, to uh, to not going out in massive duvet-sized duvet, uh, coats, but now it is that cold here now. So uh, not quite as cold as it is in Toronto. We haven't had any snow yet, but I don't think it's going to be too long before we get some. But um, what is going to keep us warm of a, of a cold weekend evening is going to be some live MMA. We've got two big shows coming up this weekend. Actually, we've got three. One championship's on earlier in the day on Friday. If you want a little hors d'oeuvre, there's some good fights on. Timothy Nastyukin versus uh, Dagi Arslan Aliyev. I'll get his name right. That's worth watching early in the day on Friday. But it really is all about that double header, Sandu. We've got Bellator on Friday night. We've got UFC on Saturday night. So what do you reckon? We should might as well just dive straight in with uh, with Bellator to start to start off with and the return of Kyoji Horiguchi, a man who, he was the rising bantamweight champion. He was the Bellator bantamweight champion. And then he tore his knee and he didn't hang on to the belts. He did a really honorable thing insofar as he didn't even wait to see how long he would be out. He basically turned around and said, I'm relinquishing my belts. We're going to let the, the title lineage carry on. I'll come back and get them later. And uh, he's back in Bellator now. And he's taking on Sergio Pettis, who is the current champ this weekend. Lots of respect between the two. Sandu, uh, Horiguchi says that he is still the champion. Sergio Pettis says that Horiguchi is technically still the champion. So uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting one. Pettis is taking a, cha a challenger mindset heading into this one. And uh, Horiguchi's got the champion mindset. So I'm really looking forward to this because he's one of the best 135 pounders on the planet. And it's so good to see him back in action once again. Yeah, it's. I feel like this weekend's a bit of a bantamweight showcase, both with the UFC 
and with Bellator. And on the Bellator side, you know, Sergio Pettis has come into this promotion, come into the organization undefeated. It's been, you know, wins, 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 wins. He's now defending his Bellator Bantamweight Championship for the very first time. So, you know, he's the A-side now, com- com- completely and firmly. But the opposition, Kyoji Horiguchi, one of the all-time great Bantamweights. I mean, if you look at his record, Simon, his only loss during his run in the UFC came to arguably one of the greatest of all time in Demetrius Johnson. And since that loss, he's won... God knows how many in a row, both in the UFC and Ryzen and Bellator. He's in double digits in terms of how many you know wins he put together. Then he lost to Kai Asakura yeah. at Ryzen 18. And then he got that one back uh, by defeating Kai Asakura via TKO. And now he's with Bellator. And I think this is a fantastic matchup. I actually feel like it's almost criminally flying under the radar a little bit. I'm looking forward to seeing how the promotion really ramps up this title fight because I feel like it could be an absolute banger. Um, I think this is a, a big one for Sergio Pettis too because it's one thing to achieve and attain championship level um, status, but to now go on a run and defend it against the very best available talent that Bellator can bring in, that's going to be a tough one for him. Um, he's seen what his brother Anthony went through during his run as UFC champion. Now Sergio is a champion in the Pettis family. So we're now looking forward to seeing what he can do in Bellator. Yeah, I was really interested to see just how Sir, how good Sergio would look when he moved over to Bellator. Not just because of the promotion change, but he moved up a weight class. He was competing in the UFC at 125, moves over to Bellator, moves up to 135. He's not having to do that big weight cut and he looks so much more full of energy. He hasn't he isn't as depleted and he's looked really good in his fights so far. And, you know, a couple of unanimous decisions in his most recent fights against Ricky Bandejas and uh, Juan Archuleta. But Archuleta is no mug. I mean, he's he's the real deal. And uh, for for him to defeat the Spaniard and uh, win that belt, it was a, it's a huge, huge moment for his career. But this is the acid test now. Horaguchi is the guy. He was the guy. He lost the belt through... Uh, out of cage issues, you know, he had an injury, wasn't able to defend his belt. He relinquished the belt. This is a proper title fight at 135 pounds. And you take a look at that Bellator bantamweight division. For me, this is the strongest weight class in Bellator. You've got Pettis is a champ. You've got Archuleta, Raytheon Stotts, Patchy Mix, Magomed Magomedov, Leandro Ego, James Gallagher, Josh Hill, Jonel Lugo, who's in action this week. Uh, he's well worth watching on, on the come up. He's 7-0 and right now. You've got Darren Caldwell listed in the top 10 as well. That is a murderer's row at £135 in Bellator. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if we saw a tournament uh, at some point in 2022. But who will have the belt heading into it? I can't go against Horiguchi Sandu. He's just, he's such a complete fighter. His control of range is outstanding. He's got the submissions. He's got the wrestling. He's got the power in his striking. And I think while Pettis is very compact, he's got excellent uh, kickboxing fundamentals, which you would expect for someone coming out of uh, Rufus Sport in Milwaukee. I just don't know if he's got that fight-ending explosiveness that Horaguchi has. And I think that will be the uh, the deciding factor on fight night. I think Horaguchi is going to get his belt back and it'll be uh, business, uh, business as usual for the Japanese. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Who's your money on? Are you going with uh, the Gucci or are you going with the Sergio? 
I'm with you, Simon. I'm going with the Gooch. And, and it's bizarre and incredible to me that for him being just 31 years of age, he's got so much experience and so many fights under his under his belt. He is a bona fide veteran and he's still only 31. And if you look again, looking at his record, he hasn't suffered that much damage. He hasn't, you know, tasted defeat that many times. I really feel like the pressure is going to be on Sergio. And don't get me wrong, if he wins, the fact that you and me are both picking the gooch right now heading into this weekend just means if Sergio gets the win, the respect from the two of us and from others that are picking Horaguchi will come at him tenfold. Um, and like I said, I feel like once you become a champion in a promotion, that's one thing. But then to go on and defend and defend and defend, and of course, if he is able to be successful this weekend, and if Bellator insert him into that bantamweight Grand Prix next year, he'll have multiple defenses, multiple opportunities uh, to defend the title and obviously face the absolute very best, like you mentioned, a murderer's row there in, in Bellator's 135-pound division. I think this is as good as a fight Bellator can put on. And yeah, I feel like Horoguchi is going to be and new one more time. Yeah, yeah. In his mind, it'll be and still, but uh, officially yeah. it'll be and new. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing just how, how he looks how that knee holds up. Is he 100% fit? Are there going to be any lingering confidence issues? When you have a, a an injury like that, that leaves you out for so long. Sometimes it's in the back of your mind, especially when, you know, they're throwing lots of kicks. I would imagine Pettis is going to use kicks quite a lot in this fight. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this one goes. A little bit of bad news about this event, Sander. We were going to have a Brit on this card. Uh, Alfie Davis, London Shoot Fighters product. He was due to be on the main card against JJ Wilson. Uh, the Maori kid undefeated, moving up from featherweight to lightweight. That was a really, really good matchup. I was really looking forward to to seeing that one. That fight is off. Davis, unfortunately, uh, has had to pull out of that fight. That was that was announced earlier today. So, unfortunately, the British involvement on that card uh, has been has been wiped out, which is a shame. But we have got some decent fights on that card, and uh, I will be uh, on duty for that on Friday night. But you mentioned, Sandu, it's all about the bantamweights this weekend. And let's just launch straight in, straight into the UFC, I guess. And Rob Font is finally getting the respect that he deserves. He's been in and around the sharp end of the UFC's 135-pound division. And now he's got himself one of the big fish. Jose Aldo, former featherweight champion, absolute nailed on cert for Hall of Fame status when he eventually does hang up the gloves this is a big, big fight for the bantamweight division. Aldo still fancies his chances of becoming a two-division champion. Rob Font wants to get a pretty significant skin on the wall and put himself in contention for the belt. This is a huge one. And stylistically, it's an absolute cracker as well. Font has got such crisp boxing. Aldo, we know all about his striking. This one's going to be an absolute cracker. I have been so impressed by Rob Font over the last couple of years. He's part of that New England cartel, and which I love them as a faction as well. I think that's a brilliant name for, for a group of guys. This guy, Simon, Rob Font, I mean, let's look at the, the last couple of wins he's had. We talked about Sergio Pettis defending his bantamweight championship in Bellator this weekend. Well, Rob Font's recent win streak started with a win over Sergio Pettis. He then defeats Ricky Simon, and then from there, I mean, the competition. Marlon Marais, he defeats him via TKO. He then beats former champion Cody Garbrandt. And now he's facing arguably the greatest featherweight of all time, albeit at 135 pounds. 
in Jose Aldo. And not only has his win streak been impressive, this is Rob Fonts now second main event slot on a fight night card. So you know that the UFC are behind you. They're looking to build contenders. You know, conceivably a win here could put him into a situation where he could be fighting for a title next. And we can talk about that a little bit because obviously TJ Dillashaw is hanging there in the winds. And who knows, maybe the winner of this weekend's fight ends up fighting TJ Dillashaw uh, in, a, in a number one contender matchup next year. But Jose Aldo, I mean, when he first went down to 135 pounds, Simon, I think everybody was really worried. Everybody was really concerned and for good reason because we all saw the videos, we saw the images, we saw him on the scales and it was not looking good at all. And his the results weren't going his way either. You know, he loses a split decision to Marlon Moraes. He then controversially gets put into a title fight against Peter Yan, loses that via TKO late in the fight in the fifth round. And at that point, Simon, I'm thinking, all right, well, the, the, the Jose Aldo bantamweight experience is done. You know, he tried it. It didn't work out. But then he sticks around. He gets a win over Marlon Vera, Marlon Chito Vera, who's obviously a massive contender in that weight class. And then he defeats Pedro Munoz just a couple of months ago. Also a perennial contender there or thereabouts. Just always a win or two away for perhaps being in total contention. And now he's fighting a streaking Rob Font in a main event slot. I mean, talking, talking about someone that, you know, sees no quit, has no quit in him. He's probably thinking to himself, hey, a win over Rob Font, a three-fight win streak, and maybe I can be fighting for the title again in 2022. So stakes are definitely on the line, even though it's perhaps not being promoted as such by the UFC. I think everybody knows that the winner here could either be fighting for the title next or at the very least be in a number one contender fight against TJ Dillashaw. And regardless of who wins, whether it's Rob Font or Jose Aldo, lining up a fight against either the current champion, whether that's going to be Aljamain Sterling or Peter Yan, or... TJ Dillashaw, those are mouth-watering prospects to be looking forward to in 2022. I can't wait for this fight. I'm really looking forward to it. I think I'm probably just leaning slightly towards Rob Font, but I would not be surprised whatsoever if Jose Aldo does the business because he's a veteran and he's beaten some big names this year. Yeah, I mean, 15 is the magic number here. That's the number of world title fights Jose Aldo has on his career. 15 title fights running from the WEC all the way through to uh, his UFC career. And obviously the most recent of which was that defeat to Pity Yan at UFC 251. You're talking about him dropping down to Bantamweight, Sandu. I was at UFC 245. I was in the room for media day when he came out and sat down on the stall to do media day. He had his hood up. He looked a little bit like Emperor Palpatine from, uh, from Star Wars. He did not look good. He did not look good. And everybody in the room was talking about it. They're walking around sort of sort of nudging each other, going, have you seen Jose? He does not look good. This is, this is, this is not a good idea. 135 pounds is maybe a step too far for him. Yeah, he lost to, uh, he lost to Marlon Moraes. And he had the controversial title, title fight because Dana White was of the view that Jose Aldo won that fight. And he, off he went. He had the fight against PDM. PDM duffed him up. There's no, there's no two ways about it. PTM beat him up. And uh, that was quite hard to watch. And as you say, we didn't know at what point, you know, whether we were going to see him again at the highest level. He's bounced back brilliantly. He's got two unanimous decision wins under his belt. Now he's back in there with Rob Font. I'm not one to count out Jose Aldo, but I do think Font is the man 
with the real form here. He's got four wins in a row. He seems to be getting better with each performance. He might not have got the finish last time against Cody Garbrandt, but he did really, really well to outpoint Cody. Don't forget, Cody turned in one of the best title fight uh, performances when he actually dethroned TJ Dillashaw to win the belt. It was an unbelievable performance. And I don't understand... I don't understand why Rob Font isn't getting the credit that he deserves for going in there and uh, putting together a win streak. You mentioned the names, Sergio Pettis, Ricky Simone, Marlon Marais, Cody Garbrandt. That is a, a murderer's row of contenders. And he's, he's, done a num- he's done a number on all of them. And he's picked up a couple of bonuses along the way as well. So he goes out there and beats Jose Aldo. It's about time people start banging the desk and, and really making some noise about Rob Font because he's in a division with a lot of names in it. You know, you look at the top of that division, Aljamain Sterling, larger than life character. He's got a big name in the sport. Peter Yan, obviously. TJ Dillashaw has been around for a while. He's a star. And then you've got up and coming stars like Corey Sanhagen as well. Rob Font is right in the mix with all of them. And if he goes and beats Jose Aldo, it's time to start putting even more respect on that man's name. So I am I'm with you, actually, Sandu, which I know is slightly boring for a podcast, but I am leaning towards Rob Font as well. But not as strongly as I am the uh, the Bellator fight, where I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty strongly behind Kyoji Hiroguchi, but I think this is a much closer matchup on paper. But I think Rob Funk can box his way to a decision win here, and if he connects frequently enough with Jose Aldo, as the fight goes on over the five rounds, maybe he's got it in the tank to get a late stoppage. I think I think over that five round duration, Aldo has as I said, fifteen title fights over the course of his career. That's a lot of fights. And a lot of fights that have gone uh, a long way. He's got quite a few of them went the full five round distance during that career. So, yeah, how many more miles has he got left on the tank? I don't know. This could be uh, the last chance for him. So I'm really looking forward to seeing just how good Jose looks. And uh, this is a huge opportunity for Rob Font. So uh, this should be an absolute barn burner. And speaking of barn burner, Sandu, this card has got a few of them on on the undercard as well. The co-main event might just be the fight of the weekend. Brad Riddell, Rafael Fiziev at lightweight. Both of them former striking coaches at Tiger Muay Thai, former sparring partners, and now they're going toe-to-toe at 155 pounds. They're both at that similar point in their career where really they need to get a good win against each other, and then they're in there with the big guns at 155 pounds. Uh, Fiziev obviously has been getting more more shine from the media because of his spectacular performances. But make no mistake, Brad Quake Riddell is the real deal when it comes to putting his hands together. So this is going to be an absolute banger, and I cannot wait to see it. This is this is my pick for fight of the weekend. I cannot wait. Yeah, and it's a great story that they shared that essentially prior to this fight being booked, they both got on the phone, got on the blower yeah. with each other, and essentially said, are you up for it? I'm up for it. And we're going to be, you know, we're, we've been friends for a long time. We've been colleagues and peers at Tiger Muay Thai. We'll get this fight out of the way and then we can be friends after. How amazing is that? There's no beef. There's, this is two of the best in the world in their weight class prospects on the, on the way up. Like you said, in a very similar position in terms of their status in the UFC, both coming in with a lot, ton of momentum, win streaks. They're going to go at it and may the best man win. You don't get to see that very often, especially from people that are coming from like the same gym, the same background that know each other really, really well. That's going to be interesting. They both know each other extremely well. So how they strategize and 
what kind of you know we may kind of see one of those classic chess matches uh play out here have to share one funny story with you simon with, with regards to rafael fiziev and this may lead to um something to look forward to this weekend so earlier this year rafael fiziev when he fought uh in august when he defeated bobby green he did the um the nate diaz version of a call out and he called out Hasbullah. and i remember working for bt sport that night clipped it off posted it it's to date one of the most engaged retweeted and promoted tweets of the year for bt sport looking back at what we've done and what's been successful and how far content has traveled that that call out that he that they did you know for hasbullah this is before the ufc were kind of using hasbullah as a bit of a a promotional partner for abu dhabi rafael fizia yeah. was well ahead of the curve there so if that's what he did in august i'm curious to see who he may call out and uh what kind of gimmick he may uh, utilize in his post-fight interview should he win so something to look forward to that aside the fight itself absolute chef's kiss can't wait for it yeah brad riddell seven fight win streak the most recent of those or four of those all come in the ufc so he's got his last four fights all in the ufc all wins rafael fiziev four fight win streak all in the ufc i mean this is just set up absolutely perfectly and I'll be amazed if these two lads don't end up going home with a bonus in their back pocket because this is just too good for it not to deliver. There's some other good fights on this card. Clay Guida welcoming Leonardo Santos back to the octagon. Jimmy Crute versus Jamal Hill at light heavyweight is going to be an absolutely brilliant fight at 205 pounds. Two young up-and-coming contenders, both of them looking to rebound after defeats. Crute losing to Anthony Smith via doctor stoppage. He was really annoyed at the fight being stopped like that. And uh, his opponent, Jamal Hill, uh, if you remember that really horrible submission defeat to Paul Craig, his arm was bent in all sorts of weird directions. Um, he's now back to full fitness as well. But both of them are legit contenders of the future. It's a case of which one is going to be a little bit further up the ladder than the other one. We'll find out on Saturday night. Some good, good fights on this card. Chris Curtis, I'm looking forward to seeing him back on the card as well. Manel Cap is on the prelims. So lots of stuff going on this weekend. It should be another one of those fight cards where star power may not be massive, but entertainment factor should be through the roof. They're back at the apex. That'll be live on BT Sport here in the UK. Sandu will be at the helm, no doubt, of uh, the social media train. And uh, yeah, Bellator will be live on on BBC. But Sandu, before we before we sort of leave everybody this week on what is a relatively uh, short version of the show, we've got to talk about what happened this past weekend. Didn't have a lot of MMA uh, going on this past weekend, but we did have some hybrid combat sports action going on. Triller, triad, combat. Um, it was interesting to see how people were receiving this thing on social media. It almost felt to me like people didn't really know how to receive this because it was just so bizarre. They had a triangular ring. They had a strange set of hybrid rules. It was basically dirty boxing in, in a triangle. It's basically the, you know, the way I saw it. And I put some tweets out before the event saying that I understand what they're trying to do, but these sports, yeah, it, they both involve hand-to-hand -hand combat. But... It, for me, it just highlights how different these two sports are because they're trying to level the playing field between the two, the two disciplines, between boxing and MMA. And I don't think you can. I really don't think you can. You've got boxing is the equivalent of, 
a 100 meter sprint, right? That's it's a specialist event. If you're going to be a boxer, you better be absolutely on point with everything that you're doing in boxing. MMA is the decathlon by comparison. You've got to be good at everything. And if you've got a hole in, in, in your game or in decathlon terms, if you've got a crap event, you're not going to succeed. So you've got these two very on paper combat sports events, but they are very different types of athlete. So putting together in a, in a triangle and telling them, you can throw out, yeah, well, sorry, you can, you can dirty box, but you still can't elbow, you still can't knee, you still can't kick, you still can't grapple. You're still depriving MMA fighters of virtually every weapon in their tool belt. And you're putting them in a triangular ring where boxers can even more easily cut off a fighter. So um, I, I honestly thought that the MMA fighters were at a massive disadvantage going into this. Yet they actually did quite well on fight night. And uh, I think overall, MMA. Uh, prevailed over boxing if you were keeping scores between the two sports but what did you make of the event triller obviously are trying stuff and it's 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 good to see people trying new things i'm not sure it's a goer to be honest from a long-term perspective but what did you think of it i was having this conversation with a buddy of mine the other day and when we're talking about triller i kind of said i feel like triller their marketing team get together in a brainstorming session to, to figure out how they can be different to what everybody else is doing in combat sports and during the brainstorming session they make a list of all the ideas they come up with and then by the end of the meeting they they kind of say to themselves let's just do it all and so there's no filtration process everything yeah. they come up with they're all just like yeah let's just do it all let's just see what happens let's just see what works i was and then and i started to think about this over over the last 12 months i was thinking to myself all right obviously I'm tuning into every UFC event because I have to. I'll get paid to, that, to do that, and I'll work those shifts for BT Sport. Outside of that, though, I was kind of thinking to myself, how much of other combat sports have I watched this year? I'm talking other MMA, other boxing, or anything else. And, I'm, and I, I don't know if I'm ashamed to admit this, but I think pound for pound or minute for minute, I think I've seen more triller broadcast than anything else more than bellator more than pfl more than one more than boxing um because boxing you, you're only tuning in for the main event or at least i am right um a lot of the time when i'm watching bellator it's you know when they go head to head i'm kind of tuning in maybe just, again just for the main event or co-main event after i finished my ufc shift pfl similar thing i'm kind of maybe tuning in for the main event or a Kayla Harrison fight or something like that. But Triller, it's become one of those weird things where me and my friends are getting together and it's going to be a wacky event. We don't know what to expect, but we're all interested in getting together and we're watching from the beginning of the main card. We're, we're, we're tuning in from the beginning of the pay-per-view and we're, we're sticking with it through its three or four hour broadcast. And so that may surprise people, but listen, when I'm not working and I don't have to watch combat sports, I'm very picky with what I want to do with my free time and Bellator and PFL and other promotions really have to work hard to get my attention. But Triller just give you something so weird and wacky that you almost want to just tune in to see what the hell is going to happen. And so that curiosity alone has ticked my box. And I have to say, I think for the most part I enjoyed what I watched uh, on Saturday night. It was definitely weird. I like the whole kind of like angle they put together between Shannon Briggs and Rampage Jackson, this team, MMA yeah. and team boxing. I thought that was fun. Metallica, whatever, like, you know, I'm not the biggest Metallica fan. I know 
you know, the three or four of their absolute bangers. So when they kind of, yeah. when those songs came on, yeah, I had a good time kind of, you know, listening to their and watching their performance. But in terms of the actual action, can't really complain, can you? You kind of saw a little bit of everything. And I thought it was different. You get eight ounce gloves. You can obviously box and dirty box. You can try your, you know, spinning back fist uh, to see if that lands. But, um, and obviously you've got Ryan Kavanagh there on the broadcast having a, a, a dig at, at Dana White. Not I don't know how long Triller... Yeah, I don't know how long Triller are going to be around, Simon. But uh, my message to anybody in the in the industry is, if you're a fighter, if you're a professional, and you have an opportunity to get a payday from Triller, do it while you can, because yeah. they are. It looks like from from the optics alone, seems to me that they are burning through a lot of cash. It doesn't seem as though they've got a sustainable business model there. I don't know how successful these events are on pay-per-view. I think, you know, they, they're charging $2.99 for a monthly subscription via Fight TV. Um, so, you know, they obviously started off with a bang with Mike Tyson. They use Jake Paul as well. But now it seems like it's more about how wacky these events can be. And that's the real unique selling point in terms of how they promote stuff. So, listen, lots of free agents out there. Let's see what happens. But so far, I'm... Like it's one of those things, Simon, where sometimes you you'll slow down on a highway to see a, a car crash, right? Uh, and sometimes it's horrific, and you kind of you kind of like you know disappointed that you even slow down. Uh, but sometimes with Triller, it's not always a car crash, and it, it was nice to see uh, some of the MMA guys out there get a result, get some shine, get a payday, and also get a pretty snazzy entrance as well. So I'm definitely going to be tuning in for more Triller events moving forward. That's for sure. Yeah, I think I think a good way of describing them is it looks to me like they're here for a good time, if not a long time. So, um, you know, I think what they have got is they seem to have developed a format that they can carry through multiple events. If they can keep if they can keep signing fighters on these deals, Mike Perry is tailor made for this sort of thing. You know, absolutely tailor made for it. Albert Tumenov looked brilliant. I thought he looked really good. He actually is trying to leverage that win into getting back into the UFC. You know, he wasn't worried about, yeah, let's get back and do this again. He's like, no, Dana, I want to fight in the UFC again. Come on. I'm, I'm not, I'm still, I'm still decent. So, uh, two men, I've got a win. Derek Campos got a win. Mike Perry got a win. Matt Mitrione lost, although that was a bit controversial. I think people thought that Mitrione might've won that fight. And the Kubrat Pulev versus Frank Mir fight was an absolute joke from the minute it was booked. I mean, in a, in a, in a striking only contest. And I've got all the respect in the world for Frank Mir. He was not going to beat a boxer who has only lost to uh, Vladimir Klitschko and uh, Anthony Joshua in his career. So let's be honest, that was a mismatch. And I think it was designed to be a mismatch. But some of those other fights, not too shabby, not too shabby. I mean, I was I was I don't know how sustainable it is long term, but I agree with you that it's certainly a spectacle and sometimes that's what you want. That's what the UFC was when it first started. Let's not forget that, you know, that's what, that's what drew people in. It's like people from all these different disciplines fighting each other who wins. So this is not quite like that, but it, it has sort of shades of it in some regard that this is an event. It's a spectacle. You don't really know what you're going to get. Um, I don't know how many, how many more of those we're going to see. I guess it depends on how successful they are in booking uh, interesting enough names to fight because it's, uh, you know, I, th I think that I think those guys who fought got paid relatively well. So we'll see how that one goes. But yeah, it was definitely worth picking over that and uh, 
we'll see what happens next because they certainly don't seem shy to try stuff and uh they don't have the big the big name at the top of the card instead they've got shannon the cannon and rampage jackson i guess it's going to be those two in 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 the ring at some point further down the line so we'll see how that one all shakes out um one more thing i wanted to mention to you sandu it got announced today seeing as we're talking combat sports in general a fight that we should have seen probably six years ago is finally going to happen. Amir Khan, Kell Brook is finally going to happen. Two of British boxing's most accomplished welterweight fighters are finally going to meet February the 19th at the AO Arena, which uh, is the Manchester Arena. And that's going to be taking place February 19th, 2022. It's a bit after the Lord Mayor show. It's a bit, it's sort of shades of when we finally got Pacquiao and Mayweather together. And it was like, great, I'm happy we're going to see this fight, but if only we'd seen it in their prime. It's mm. got that kind of feel to it. They had, a, they had a press conference today. They were sniping at each other. They were sort of nose-to-nose at the face-offs. The fire is there, and I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching. It's going to be a good one, but I just wish it had happened six years ago when they were right at their peak. That would have been absolutely superb. But yeah, seeing as we're, we are the Brit Pack, we're covering all manner of different combat sport right now. That's a big name boxing match we're going to get early in 2022. Yeah, I'm I'm very much a, a casual boxing fan and I haven't been ashamed to admit that. And will I be watching this fight? Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to really start to, I guess, buy into the, the promotional content during fight week itself. I, I don't pay attention to the press conference today. Um, let's see what happens. It's a, like I said, you know, I think for the UK market, this is fantastic. This is great. You know, I think both these guys should have fought, like you said, many, many years ago. It's finally happening. Why is it happening now? Is it like a a last-minute cash grab from both those guys as to kind of leverage their name value and this particular fight, in, you know, in particular uh, to to ride off into the sunset with one final payday? Probably that is probably what it is. Will they deliver? Will the fight deliver? Let's see. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I'll, I'll tune in. I'll watch that. One other thing I wanted to bring up, Simon, before we wrap things up this week. So Conor McGregor did a Twitter AMA uh, a few days ago. And one of the things that he mentioned is the fact that with regards to his uh, rehab and recovery from his injury, it looks like, according to him, he's going to be able to begin full-on sparring by April of next year. So if you take that into a potential timeline, it looks like a Conor McGregor return summer of 2022 is likely on the cards and it would be pretty uh, appropriate if he would uh, headline in the T-Mobile arena in Las Vegas international fight week. I think the UFC uh, would take that all day long. Now the question is though, who should he fight? He seems to be indicating to the, uh, to the fact that he's going to be fighting for the title. I don't know if that, I mean, I'm sure that will rub people the wrong way. Then again, if I'm Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier, why not? Cause that will just increase pay-per-view buys. But let's throw it out there, Simon. We don't get a cut of the pay-per-view buys over here on the Brit Pack. So that's not going to affect us. (laughs) That's that's not going to affect us. But what's the fight you want to see? What is what what should be, in your opinion, Conor McGregor's comeback fight in 2022? See, that's the way you worded the question is interesting. What should be the fight? And that really depends on what angle you're coming at it from, right? If you're if you're looking at it from a meritocratic standpoint as a this is a guy who wants to eventually get back and fight for the lightweight belt again, you should fight a lightweight contender. Michael Chandler would be an ideal matchup. 
There's been some quite respectful discourse between the two on social media. That's a bookable fight that I think everybody would watch. I think that would be an absolute banger. There are two bigger, better fights than that for a box office perspective that I would rank above that one. One of them is Jorge Masvidal for the BMF belt. We get the BMF belt back out there again. Do McGregor, Masvidal for the BMF belt, main event, international fight week. That would be absolutely huge. That would, And you could do that at 170, no problem whatsoever. However, and we come back to it all the time, it has to be the Diaz trilogy. It has to be the Diaz trilogy. It absolutely has to be. That is the one fight that does not affect any other part of the UFC adversely. It gives Nate Diaz the big fight that he wants. It gives Conor McGregor the blockbuster event that he can return to. It's a fight that he knows he can win because he's defeated him once already. It closes a chapter on their rivalry. And then whoever wins that is going to be catapulted straight into something massive next. If McGregor wins, he'll get a title fight. And if he beats Diaz at 170, I think that then opens the door to potentially facing Kamaru Usman if he really wants to. Or I'm sure the UFC would accommodate him dropping back to 55 to take on whoever happens to hold the belt. Could be Dustin Poirier and another fight with him. So, yeah, that would be the fight I'd book. I'd book the Diaz trilogy fight, absolutely. What about you? I love the idea of the Diaz trilogy. And in fact... I was predicting that for 2021, had Conor McGregor not broke his leg, I genuinely felt like towards the end of this year, we were going to get that Diaz trilogy. It felt like that was going to be the the natural progression. If not a title fight, is to do the Diaz trilogy fight. Now, the problem or the issue with potentially getting a Diaz-Conor McGregor trilogy fight summer of 2022 is, I don't think Nate Diaz is going to be a UFC fighter come summer of 2022 he's been very open about the fact that he's got one fight left on his contract and he's trying to get this fight booked as soon as possible he's been looking at vicente luque he he tried to you know i guess promote the idea of him maybe fighting tony ferguson which i think would be a fantastic fight by the way yeah it looks like simon nate diaz is trying to get this fight done asap so he can become a free agent and i think it's far more likely that nate diaz fights his last fight in the ufc in over the course of the next three or four months, well before Conor McGregor's projected return, he goes into free agency. And if Jake Paul beats Tommy Fury on December 18th, I think the the natural idea, the natural progression, given Jake Paul's history of fighting MMA fighters, would be to make that Nate Diaz fight happen. And Nate Diaz as a free agent, boxing Jake Paul would be big business. And I'm sure Diaz would get a much larger piece of the pie than anything uh, involving Conor McGregor or the UFC. Now, if we put that idea to the to one side, I feel like a lot of things you mentioned there would make a lot of sense. I love the idea of a Michael Chandler fight. Could you imagine if Conor McGregor defeated Michael Chandler? I don't know if there's anybody else that can claim this, but the two greatest lightweights, arguably in Bellator history, are Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez. If Conor McGregor could say, "I, I beat the two greatest Bellator lightweight fighters of all time," that would be you know another thing to add on to his resume. So I love that idea. I love the idea of him fighting Justin Gaethje. I don't like the idea of him fighting for the title. I I really feel like that's going to rub people the wrong way. It's not going to sit well with me either. I feel like maybe maybe, maybe the loser of Poirier Oliveira, perhaps, if you want to go down that route. For me, though, and again, the question was who should Conor McGregor fight next? 
and again, a, a lot of different ways and angles you can go. I love also the Jorge Masvidal idea, by the way. But for me, Simon, it's Tony Ferguson. It's El Kakui. There's history there. He was under contract and he was represented by Paradigm Sports Management, who Conor McGregor has a stake in. So, you know, vis-a-vis, Conor McGregor was in theory, you know, Tony Ferguson's boss in, in many respects. Um, the fact that Tony Ferguson is no longer with Paradigm and the fact that they've been obviously drawing back and forth on social media for, for quite a while. In addition to the fact that they they are both two of the greatest lightweights of all time, two of the best fighters of their generation, it would be absolutely criminal if they didn't cross paths at one point in the future. And why not now? Both are coming off losses. Both need a win. Both are massive characters, massive personalities. And I feel like they would both bring the right chemistry together to create a fun, memorable, special event that would both appease the hardcore fans as well as the mainstream. And I just want to see what that cocktail tastes like. What does a Conor McGregor, Tony Ferguson fight week look like? What are the press conference and interviews and face-offs, all that kind of stuff? What does that look like? In addition to how would that fight play out? So for me, sign me up for Conor McGregor, Tony Ferguson in summer of 2022. What do you think of that one? I love it. I love it. And what it does, and it, it, it falls into, it ticks a lot of the boxes that the Diaz fight ticks insofar as you can almost ring fence it off and put it to one side of the divisional picture at 155 pounds or whatever else is going on at 170 pounds. It's a fight that gives McGregor the showcase kind of fight that he needs. It's a rivalry fight that has been bubbling under the surface for years it's also a fresh matchup as well. You know, we, we, we have seen the Diaz fight twice. Obviously, because we've seen it twice and it's one each, that makes the third fight sellable. But a Tony Ferguson-Conor McGregor fight is something that no one has seen. So, yeah, sign me up. I'll take that one all day. That would be a brilliant, brilliant fight for him to come back to. What this basically means, of course, Sandu, is that McGregor and the UFC are not shy of options. We didn't mention Max Holloway. Max Holloway is someone who was making noises about being in the running to potentially welcome Conor McGregor back. You know, we've also got Dustin Poirier, of course, win, lose, draw, whatever. That's a fight that you can bet that McGregor will want sooner rather than later. So there's all manner of options for him. He could really step in. And, and then there's Kamara Usman as well. He's, he's been drawing about Kamara Usman. So basically, all things are on the table for Conor McGregor. When does this man not have any options? And, uh, you know, whatever he signs, whatever contract he signs and whoever he ends up facing, the MMA world is going to just be spinning in anticipation, waiting for Conor McGregor's return. Whether you're a fan, whether you love him, whether you hate him, you cannot ignore the notorious Conor McGregor. And the sport is always elevated in terms of attention when he is in the mix. So I'm looking forward to seeing him back. Fingers crossed. He will be 100%. And yeah, whether it's Tony Ferguson, Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal, Michael Chandler, Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier, Kamara Usman, whoever it is, it's going to be a huge fight. And I can't wait to see the Irishman back in the cage. It should be a very special occasion indeed. Sandu, I think that might be everything we have on this issue or edition of the Brit Pack. That's all for this week. And for anyone that wants to support us, the best place to do that is the BritPackMMA.com. That's the BritPackMMA.com. From there, you can find 
myself on social media. You can find Simon on social media. We have a Twitter handle, the at the Britpack MMA. You can find links to our Spotify, Apple Podcasts. For those of you that do listen to us, by the way, on Apple Podcasts, if you can do us a massive favor, rate and review us. It literally takes us 20 to 30 seconds of your time, but it massively helps us and massively helps the show get promoted that's how the apple podcast algorithm works so yeah if you can rate and review us on apple podcast that would be fantastic great stuff double header weekend bellator friday night ufc saturday night and it's bantam weights at the top of both cards it's going to be a fantastic weekend of fights get the beers in the fridge enjoy the fights and we'll chat about it all 